stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! It again. No double team help, and B takes it right to the rack. going on everybody it is tuesday i have uh noah levick here of nbc sports philadelphia he is here to talk about the first five games of the james harden era um the sixers have played six games since the all-star break harden's played five of the six um and they're five and one in in the six games five and oh in the games that he has played in um noah how are you today I'm doing well, doing well. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to be here. No problem. You, you, you sit right in front of me in the, uh, on the beat. So we, we both take in the same scene, same sounds uh, every, every night. So it, it's, it's good to have somebody who shares a similar uh, in-game perspective as I do. Yeah, no, same, same here. Um, you have the honor of being adjacent to Tom Moore, which I don't, but I, I have a good crew in my row as well with um, oh, yeah. Inquire folks and Kyle Newbeck and uh, some esteemed some esteemed writers you covered. Right. That's like the pantheon of like the the, the first the first row behind the scouts is the pantheon of the, the who's who of the beat guys. You have Bodner, Hoffman, you Newbeck, uh, Keith, and then. Gina is obviously hasn't been here that long, but she's up there as well. And then second row is, you know, me and me and the rest of the, uh, the guys, Tom Moore, I spent half the night laughing because he's, he's just a funny guy. He always has, always has good one-liners, good quips to keep, uh, keep you on your toes. So he's a funny guy. Um, no, they're, they're, so they're five and one through the six games that Harden has played. Um, well, he's played five or five and zero oh in those games. Oh, and one in the game he missed. Um, what has surprised you early on about the whole Harden experience? So I, I think firstly, I just expected the first two or three games to be a little more rusty. And I haven't seen very much rust from James Harden, who you know, prior to his Sixers debut hadn't played a game in, a, in approximately three weeks and had a legitimate hamstring issue that, he was working through. Uh, I just think also the ability to fit in so seamlessly and to make teammates better just right off the bat. I, I didn't expect it to be at that high of a level. Uh, but, I mean, you look at his first four games, scores 170, 107 points, so almost 27 a game, on 49 field goal attempts. I mean, it's just absurd efficiency. Uh, and... I did not expect those numbers yeah. to to be there just right off the bat. And then the, the other secondary thing I'll add that I think is important and encouraging for the Sixers is Joel Embiid's willingness and effectiveness as a roller. You know, during the Brett Brown era, we heard like time and time again, we want Joel to roll more than he pops, and Embiid didn't prefer that. He liked the pop, and he he thought that was often the best option to him. And now he's on a team with 
an extraordinary pick and roll passer where rolling is worthwhile. Yes. And he has a fitness base now where he can roll time and time again, and it's not going to adversely affect him late in games. So again, I just didn't think that would be as great as it was. I thought Embiid would be better as a roller, um, but I think that has gone just so, so well uh, in terms of that duo being potent because there are so many ways that they can beat you uh, and Embiid rolling hard downhill, uh, whether it's just like the, the Chicago action that they've showcased. You, you, wrote, you wrote about the Chicago action, and I read that, and I, ever since you wrote that, I've seen it like eight or nine times. Just like they, the- they, they love running it, yeah. And you even get like the little improvisational wrinkles off that where last night, uh, you know, Harden's coming up for the DHO and then Tobias Harris hits him back door. Yeah. So this is a player who draws so much attention and is dangerous in so many ways. And we knew that, but uh, yeah, I would say specifically the uh, just immediate success of the Embiid Harden pick and roll, and not just the pick and pop, uh, pleasant surprise for the Sixers, yeah. Yeah, I, I think you touched on a good point with like the incentivizing Joel to roll more because I feel like he no longer has an excuse to not roll. Like he doesn't have to play outside to accommodate Ben. Um, you know, he doesn't have to like play outside to initiate an offense when no one can get him the ball. Like this is this is pretty cut and dry now. Like you have a you have a precision passer. Like thing about Harden that I didn't realize before is he can throw a variety of passes with pinpoint accuracy. Like the behind the back passes to Niang and Embiid for for on the pop is is insane. Like it's right in right into the shooting pocket and they can go right up with it they don't have to reach too far here or there to like get the ball and then you know by by extension their shots messed up um i think the things that are like most surprising to me so like the the miami game without harden they're they were negative 20.1 per 100 possessions and they were 91 they had scored 91.1 points per 100 on offense so the offense it was second of the back-to-back joel was bad whatever the offense without harden looked like a like it flat out awful. It was it was it was it was an unwinnable game because of that offense. Um, but yet when you add Harden to the mix, their the last six games post all, which is you know the post All Star break schedule, they, ha- they average 124 120.4 points per hundred, which is fourth in the NBA. Um, 109 points per hundred they're allowing, which is sixth in the NBA. So their defense has actually gotten better compared to where it was. Um, you know, for, over the course of the year prior to adding Harden to the mix. Um, and they're plus 66 in those, you know, six games. So they're outscoring opponents by like 11 points on average is is the nightly nightly uh, outcome. And I mean, it kind of makes sense in a vacuum because Harden's a bigger player than Seth Curry is and you weren't getting anything from Ben. So, I mean, it makes sense that your offense or your defense just by like swapping sizes would get better. Um but but I I didn't I didn't think the the, the defense was going to jump from you know eleventh to sixth and granted it's only a six game sample size it's pretty small but like that has been impressive to me I think that they haven't fallen off a cliff defensively the way that I thought I think people thought they would um, the Harden and the Harden plus Embiid chemistry has been insane like last night was the first time that I noticed a misread on a pick and roll when like Harden had like Harden threw the pass behind him beat and it went into the backcourt. That was the first time I was like, Oh, they messed that. They, they junked that play up. That was, that was a bad one. That was at the, they played six games. That was the first time I've noticed a misread. Um, 
and just the maxi fit like maxi i i had questions about how he would fit within an offense where Harden is is eating up usage and is a primary ball handler and i think one of the graces one of, one of, one of, one of the biggest graces that that maxi has had is having to like well everyone was was complaining about how like why is the ball in seth's hands so much like you know max he's a point guard like they should be using seth more off ball i think in a lot of ways this was their preparation that was their preparation for the scenario where harden comes in and max is more comfortable off ball already but he's fit right in next to a primary ball handler and james harden and it's been insane to see it makes you wonder if 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 number one like this is their big three going forward like there's no third piece to add they have it already it's kind of it's kind of what you're left thinking um and speaking of the big three um, do you think that Maxi's play, obviously he won't maintain this efficiency over the grand course of the season, but do you think that efficiency is something that he can normalize out to and have it be like, okay, this is a real big three and not like a, a fake big three with Tobias as the third guy who's really the fourth or fifth guy? I guess, I guess that's a subjective term, but at this point, I just don't see him as a player who is going to decline anytime soon. There just seems to be this constant upward trajectory with his development. And of course, a lot of that is founded on his eagerness to get better and willingness to accept criticism. I would say I thought last night's game uh, was a little little slow through like three quarters, but picked it up like he hit a couple threes in the fourth quarter and that was really it. Right. That, that was, I think, closer to what I was expecting yeah. uh, post Harden trade and the fight, like including the final numbers, 17 points, four assists, one turnover, two of five from three, like really solid production as a complimentary piece. But clearly Joel Embiid and James Harden are your main duo. Yeah, I think if he can do that in the playoffs, it's great. But I also think it's not outlandish to think that he's capable of more because we've seen time and time again he has these bursts in him where for five or six minutes he's just faster and better than everyone on the floor and clouded dust and you look up and he's totally flipped the momentum of the game yeah i think he could do that a couple times in the playoffs i don't think it'll happen every game but i think he's got the confidence and the skill to make it happen and he's got teammates who encourage him time and time again to be aggressive and play in a way conducive to to those sort of game-changing bursts. Uh, I think overall, like lineups with James Harden, they're going to be really good offensively for the Sixers. Um, I think there's going to be some decline, but I think with Maxi in particular, I don't expect it to be dramatic. So you look at the um, Maxi Harden lineups so far, 132.1 net rating plus 29. I'm uh, sorry, 132.1 uh, offensive rating plus 29 net rating. Uh, yeah. glass. Obviously, small sample size. I, I expect the defense to be a little worse. I don't expect the shooting to be quite as good. But yeah. I expect James Harden is going to continue drawing lots of free throws. And I expect Maxi uh, will continue to be decent at drawing free throws and continue to progress in that area of his game uh, now that he's in positions where there will be easier straight line drives and hit ahead passes and transition and 
just all these ways where, where James Harden is conducive to him being an aggressive player who scores more efficiently through drawing free throws, through getting wide open catch and shoot opportunities. Um, I, I think a lot of that is sustainable. Um, yeah. So that, that's kind of how I, I see it right now. I think defensively there are question marks both with Maxi and team at large. I don't doubt the competitiveness and the attention to detail, um, but I think especially in situations where the Sixers want to switch heavily with Harden on the floor, I'm not sold on Maxi's ability oh, yeah. to hold up in those spots. Uh, it won't be through a lack of effort, but um, I think he's going to be perhaps in some tough defensive situations uh, come playoff time. Yeah, and I think like so much of it is like the skill is there. He's it's sustainable in that regard, but will he have the opportunity as a scorer, as a shooter in that in, in that matter to maintain it? And I think the things that kind of make me think like, yeah, he could do this. Um or like the efficiency, like he's shooting 57.7% on twos, which is wild. 63.3% on threes, which is not sustainable, but it's still very good. Um, and then he's shooting above 70% effective and true shooting. So, I mean, he's getting to the line. He's taking an, a, an efficient balance of, of shots from three versus two. Um, and I think bef like before the trade, his shot diet was 32% at the rim, 23% on like floaters and mid-range, and then 33% on threes. Um, that, 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 was, that was since the trade. Before the trade, it was 35% at the rim, 40% in the mid-range with 28 on floaters and 25 from threes. So, I mean, he's up to three-point volume. His rim, uh, the attacking at the rim hasn't been as prolific, but he's he, he you've seen sort of a rebalancing of the appropriate uh, analytically driven shot diet since Harden has been here. And by the way, he's attempting 5.2 threes per game since Harden started. Um, he, he three of them are, are off the catch and 2.2 are off the dribble. He's making all of those at above like a 60% clip. So, I mean, those that those are not sustainable like efficiencies, but the fact that he's grown increasingly comfortable off the catch and the point where he's taking more threes off the catch than he is off the dribble um, is a massive development for their ability to have a coexistence with Harden and, and, and Maxi and have it be copacetic for, for everybody. Um, I, th I think, you know, those are the things that make it sustainable. And I mean, as long as you have Harden, the guy whose gravity does so much for your team, you're going to get open threes. Like Max is going to get open threes off the catch. It's a matter of, does he make them, um, or does he not? And, you know, some, some, some games you're just going to miss open shots, the basketball, but other games, like there'll be a lot of nights where he, where he's going to get five open looks from three off the catch. And he has a chance to, you know, if he can hit two or three of them, that's all, that's all you need. Absolutely right. I, the bar he has to meet is not going for 20 points in every second half. They, they probably don't need ridiculous production from him offensively because it's already a great offensive team with, with the two top-end talents. Uh, I think it's encouraging to me that while he is taking more of the cash-and-shoot threes, he has more ways now of creating the off-the-dribble threes in those tough playoff half-court settings yeah. where a shot's hard to come by and you need someone to make it happen. I mean, this 
development of his step back jumper is like you blink your eye and uh, he's draining like back to back step back threes like every other night. It's it's wild how um, that has just clicked for him. And again, it's a credit to the work ethic and the self belief that you know that will pay off. But so I, I think that is very valuable. And in, in addition to to the catch and shoot skill, I think my gut feel and probably the regression to the mean um, notion would be his three point percentage is going to drop off a little bit. And in my mind, he's not unlikely to draw a few more free throws. I, I yeah. think the trajectory there is really good. I think the mentality is excellent. I think he's maybe going to start getting some more calls because now he's seen as a member of a big three yeah. and on a team, you know, that, that has a lot of elite foul drawers uh, and he's strong and he puts tons of pressure on a defense and you hear Doc Rivers say time and time again, he's fearless. Like he, he gets blocked once now and he's not deterred. He's going to put himself in spots where he draws fouls. And I didn't feel the same way two or three months ago um, about Maxi. And, and that feels like legitimate development that he's made there as far as like really um, just putting defenses in difficult spots and drawing fouls as a byproduct of it. Yeah. And I think like the one thing that has um really like turned the quarter the corner from my like from my buy-in to this big three being a thing and being sustainable is even if the the jump shot is is, is not is not there for like a, a night here and there which is inevitable he's so he's become so comfortable with like lurking in a corner or waiting and then you know on the weak side and then Harden throws the makes the pass when when two guys come and you know he, he Maxi attacks a closeout or he attacks a wide open lane off of because the defense is in rotation and then he's confronting you know one bigger player or multiple bigger players at the basket and he's saying like, like in the Cleveland game that was really eye opening for me because he was going right at them right at the Cavs interior and saying like either going to foul me or I'm going to score this it's up to you but I'm not going to get denied. Um, and you know, he got to the line, but his finishing is incredible on most nights. Um, and he's just got he's been super, super comfortable with saying, I'm not gonna like settle for a jumper here, I'm gonna force them to close out with heavy feet, attack the gaps, and, and get and get to the rim or, or or make a play for somebody else. Um, I think the next step for him that will make the team as a whole a lot more dangerous is if he wasn't so risk averse to making passes. Like I think the risk of like, people were sort of like, I guess like talking down to the idea like should he commit like is it better if he commits more turnovers? Obviously, no one no one wants to see that, but I think that's a byproduct of a guy taking more risks as a playmaker. He rarely makes long passes where there's where you're skipping around. Like he's he, he's usually making same side passes or or you know some things that are simple. The more you can get him to make longer passes, like on the runouts where he's making the hit ahead, or if he's you know attacking the middle of the lane and then kicking um, to the weak side shooter, those are all things that I think really put a lot of mileage on the defense and may, and crack them even further if they're having to come over to help stunt the drive and then oh take two steps back toward a shooter in the corner. 
to get there back, to get there in time. I think the more he can do that, and the more they have two guys that can do that, and Harden and, and him, the more you're going to exhaust the defense. Agreed. I, I think with Harden, the passing was so striking initially in part because, as you said, that's not Maxie's game, and though he made strides as a ball handler and facilitator this year, he, he didn't make a ton of advanced reads out of the pick and roll. Yeah. Um, and you see Harden has infinite options seemingly at this disposal and forces a defense um, to be perfect because he's going to capitalize on their mistakes. And none of that's really in Maxie's wheelhouse quite yet. And, Part of that's just because he wants to be a responsible young player and he wants to do right by his teammates and yeah. not put them in bad spots by turning it over and then creating transition offense for the opposition. And I think most of those instincts are saw, but yeah, absolutely agree. Um, him attacking more, that's probably going to lead to some more turnovers and that's not inherently a terrible thing. I will say, I'm not sure you want to push too far in that direction, especially post-Harden trade where you know your high-usage guys are going to turn the ball over a fair amount. Yes. The Sixers are already likely going to be conceding a possession disparity via rebounding. So I do think it is valuable that they're a low-turnover team. I don't think you want to abandon that identity as, like, we take care of the ball pretty well and we don't make a ton of unforced errors. So I think for the most part, Maxi having a simple mentality of, hey, nothing wrong with you attacking a little bit more yeah. um, is good, but I don't think that at least this year has to stray into the territory of put the foot on the gas 24-7 in terms of being significantly riskier with your playmaking. I just don't think that is necessary or helpful for yeah, yeah. this year's team. I think, but I, I guess my point is like, if we're to assume James Harden's going to be here long term, and you're going to be signing him to a max contract, you're there's going to be a period where you have to come to terms with the idea that, okay, he's 35, he's 36, he can't. We're, we're we've reached our maximum ceiling with Harden as a primary ball handler. We now need to move him off of that get him in a role where you know maybe his 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 usage is a little bit diminished but maxi is now the, the the connective bridge between the hardened era and whatever comes next and i think that's where you're going to need to see that playmaking be a little bit more risky um you know and be a little uh, and risky for the sake of maximizing your offense's potential um whether that's next year or whenever, I think right now the thing for Maxie is being that third star that, like, when the defense thinks that they've done a good job against Joel and against Harden, Maxie's right there to get 23, 24, 25 and, you know, pick up those pieces that, you know, the defense takes away from, from, from the other two. Definitely. Yeah, I think right now there's no reason to be concerned – about his ability to hit all the boxes he needs to development-wise. Yeah. And, yeah, I, the risky playmaking does not need to be a priority in the 
19 games left this season. Yeah. Uh, but you sure would bet on him to make strides there this offseason and early next season. And I think he gives fans tons of, tons of legitimate reasons for excitement. Uh, and I would expect him to get better there, even if, of course, we see the scoring in the open floor wizardry and the brilliant finishing. That's all more natural, but uh, we didn't, I don't think anyone expected him to. Yeah. I'm a 42% three point shooter. He's already like surpassed all projections. Yeah. He he is uh, crushing it in every way you can crush it development wise thus far. And he's only 21 years old. So, yeah, no, for sure. Um, Moving on to somebody else who has been really good next to Harden. George Niang. Um, they've played 49 minutes together. The, the offense is they're they're scoring 132.04 points per 100 possessions, but they're only plus 8.81 per 100, which means that they're giving up a ton of points too. Um, it, you know, it, it, in, it per 100 possessions. Now, I don't know that you can run a second unit with both of them in the playoffs for more than a couple possessions because the defense is so putrid, it might have to be something where it's like um, Shake, James, Thibel, Niang, and Embiid, just so that way you're not getting, you know, like where, where, someone, where there's a backline defender there to step up and take away, you know, the drive if one of them gets, gets, gets blown by on a closeout or, you know, that someone gets around them just to have some, some rim protection there. Um, I think you'll be able to live with some sporadic three-point shooting from the opponent if, if like you know, if everyone if they're in rotation and someone kicks to, you know, a shooter, they're not they're, they're going to make three they're going to make some threes, but they're not going to make every three. But you are going to get hurt in short short spurts if you're hemorrhaging points at the rim because Harden is Harden in terms of a in terms of an on-ball defender on the perimeter, and Niang is very slow-footed. Right. I, when I heard you give those statistics, the first thing that flashed into my mind is two or three of the stints with Paul Millsap on the floor where it felt like the Sixers were holding on for dear life and just hoping that they could outscore the opposition. Right. Uh, stops did not feel very likely with Millsap as the rim protector. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that's a question to be determined and uh, you know we'll see if how willing rivers is to experiment and tinker with some of these lineups as we get closer uh, but i think overall george niang on paper was a player you figured would be effective with james harden and that's absolutely been the case and you can tell he's thrilled to be on a team with two-star talents who attract a lot of attention and allow him to do what he does best. And I think also with Harden, perhaps it's a little underrated that Niang does more than catch and shoot. Like you yes. take away his jumper off the pick and pop. Usually he's going to make the smart play. Um, sometimes it's a little awkward or a little unsightly when he rumbles into the paint and tries to make something happen that way. Uh, but I think for the most part, He's a smart player who, if he's not getting catch-and-shoot opportunities, 
at a minimum, he's not going to hurt you offensively. You feel solid about him as an offensive player. Uh, defensively, absolutely some questions. Um, but I think certainly, by all indications, he's going to be important for the Sixers in the playoffs. And they're probably going to rely on him for some big-time three-point shooting off the bench, given the state of the other bench shooters uh, and the fact that they've got a bunch of those question marks uh, right now and a bunch of players who have performed below expectations, uh, not name Niang off their bench. Yeah. Um, regarding Niang, so per, like just to get a, an idea of what his three-point uh, – volume looks like per 36 minutes over the last six games he's attempting uh 10.6 threes per 36 um he's that's actually second on the team to isaiah joe who's at 12.7 threes per 36 the difference is that george is making 4.5 threes uh 4.5 per 36 uh which is 43 percent from three whereas isaiah is at 4.2 which is 33 percent so He's getting them up in bunches, and I think a lot of that, what what's made it so effective, like you think about that, those numbers, and you're like, it feels like he's gotten up 20 threes per 36, and it feels like he's he's it feels like he's making three or four threes per game. I think what you're really seeing there is he's in there for short bursts of time, but he's just getting them up very quickly because he's playing with Harden, and they already have a really good chemistry together. Like whether it's just. Uh, drive and kick or draw two and then, you know, and then find, find, you know, find them on the weak side. Or if it's George sets a screen and, and, and Harden, you know, Harden goes around and then they're big is there in a slight drop or maybe even hedging while the bit, while the, while the, while the ball handler defender gets over, George is popping right out and Harden's hit, Harden's hit, Harden's hitting him for a quick pass and it's all, and it's already up. Um, but I, I, I think like he's gotten some layup level looks just like, very easy looks um it, and, and he's cashed in on a lot of them and i think there's a case that you could make where like right now he's their best shooter not uh an unreasonable thing to say yeah james <laughs> harden, james, you're just like no nah, i don't know about that one but I mean, james harden just tied reggie miller for third yeah. all time so <laughs> i'd probably yeah. put him at the top i think joel Embiid has a good case too um, but George Yang, the best bench shooter, and he's up there for among the best shooters on the team. I will say also, you mentioned it, it feels like he's getting up 23s per 36. I think a big part of that is whenever he makes one, everyone is aware. Yes. So his celebrations are passionate and emphatic, both at home and on the road. At home, he loves loves firing up the crowd, and on the road, he loves talking to the opposing bench or finding – a uh, fan as an enemy in the front row. And yeah. uh, there's always a lot of emotional investment and a lot of energy on his part. Um, so he's, he's loving life right now. And whenever he makes one, um, everyone knows and everyone feels good about it. And uh, he, you know, some of those shots, you know, they feel like four or five points because everyone's so thrilled and um, feeling, feeling the good vibes with George Neang. And it's, like Niang is one of the guys in the team who carries that energy into post-game press conferences. Like he's like he's very he, he he's he's very funny in some ways. Like like he he just 
he, he says like the thing that we're all thinking sometimes and maxi is kind of similar in that regard like they're both they're, they're they're both i would say delightful energies and people to to talk to after games and it kind of mimics what they do in game absolutely right the on-court personality i think is consistent with what's yeah. going off court yeah um, yeah and i i talked with yang a little one-on-one earlier this year and i said like he might be the most self-deprecating player in the nba legitimately yeah, yeah. Because he still sees himself as like the chubby kid who no one thought was much of an athlete and who played with Nerland's Noel in prep school and had to find ways to compensate for his lack of athleticism and highlight his strengths. And you see all of that as a pro, uh, both in terms of knowing his limitations on the court and making smart decisions, you know, under that umbrella. And then also the personality where everyone loves him and sure he's, he's confident, but he's also extraordinarily self-deprecating and that, um, you know, he just, everyone has, has fun around him and knows that he um, he's grateful to be there and just doing his, his thing on the team. And that is uh, absolutely nice to have in a locker room. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, I do think like one of the things that um, we've seen with Niang and, and Harden on the floor together, especially with Embiid, that's like kind of like low key a really good zone offense. Because like, not only are not only do does Niang get him up in bunches, but if 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 they if the if the zone's there and they're and they find themselves tentative as as an offense and Harden at the top of that zone. He can kick to Niang in the corner for a skip pass, and then Embiid can just basically like rotate over, and Niang can float in that pass just to like you know, get him inside positioning. Saw that last night, like they they, they win zone a little bit, yeah, uh, they go to Niang in the corner, and then that uh, and then you know he makes that pass over the top to Joel for a dunk. Those are things that they can easily do on the strong side of the floor, just because as like Niang is is is, is a doesn't think when he has the ball, it's either going to be a, sh- be a shot or it's going to be a pass. And it can happen very quickly. So I think his ability to lift that defender out of the, out of the lane in the zone makes it easier for Embiid to move around and sort of gravitate towards the rim. Absolutely. And I think just he's comfortable shooting the ball any spot on the floor. I'm sure he has his favorite, favorite areas like everyone, but if, if he didn't tell us, I, I would probably have a hard time predicting. He, he generally, genuinely looks like he believes it's going in, whether it's the wing or the corner or the top of the key or what have you. Yeah. Uh, and I can remember a few occasions this season when the Sixers have been a little shaky or struggled a little bit against the zone, and he's been the one to bust it or to give them a little sigh of relief um, by, by knocking down a shot against it. I was looking forward to potentially seeing – Miami's zone against Harden, and of course we'll have to wait on that. You figure that would be a key storyline under the potential playoff matchup. Yeah. Um, but I think, especially given how great this team has been thus far offensively against man-to-man, uh, and given the struggles they experienced, you know, earlier in the year against zone, uh, wouldn't surprise me if if that pops up again in the playoffs. Oh yeah. Uh, and if, and if Niang plays a, a significant role there, 
I mean, I also think it's interesting, you know, the, the two games prior to uh, this last win that, you know, they, they had decent possessions against uh, using a zone rather, you know, as a way to scheme around some of their uh, defensive weak spots. So zone offense and zone defense, I imagine, uh, could matter, you know, when the playoffs come around for this team. Absolutely. No, I, I, I certainly agree. Um, one of the issues in that zone has been Tobias Harris, and that's it's been an issue from more than just the zone. It's been an issue all around. Tobias has not found his footing yet. Um, and you look at look at the numbers like Harden and Tobias together without Maxi and Embiid. Those lineups are plus thirteen point three three per hundred possessions in twenty eight minutes, which surprisingly kind of good. Like, and it's and there's a lot more sample size of him with just Tobias, and there is with him with just Embiid or just Maxi. Probably because they stagger, they they stagger Harden and, and Tobias together, and they stagger Joel and Maxi together. But Harden plus Embiid with neither Maxi and Tobias or Tobias six minutes played plus 64.29 points per 100, which is very good, but it's very small sample size. Um, Harden and Maxi together, minus 6.67 per 100 in three minutes. And then surprisingly, I couldn't believe this, but Harden and Bede Maxi minus Tobias has played just eight minutes together so far. They're also plus 64.29 per 100. So, I mean, the numbers say... The numbers say that Harden and Tobias together have not been terrible, but the eye test tells you that most of that's probably Harden doing the damage with someone else on the floor and Tobias just sort of roaming around there. Tobias has largely not been effective in, in their first six games you know, since the All-Star break. Um, he struggled shooting off the catch a ton. He struggled finding his spots to be aggressive. He's a lot of pump fakes and drives off the line. Um, I do like the play that they draw where it's a down screen for Tobias to then curl um, around, around the, around the block. And then they get him for a layup. It's been like a very easy, quick hitter play that they've used a couple times, but he just can't find his footing shooting the ball. That is, that is true. I think he probably will rediscover some of it, but, both this season in general and then his season in particular, I think it's pretty unpredictable. Um, you know, with him, it's still relevant context that he had a serious case of COVID and yes. lingering effects from that and experienced shoulder pain beginning in November. Uh, you know, you, you consider some of the imbalance or inconsistency with the jump shot and just the overall performance and the lack of comfort, I don't think it's wild to figure that some blend of, of those things I just mentioned are, are factoring into that. Uh, in addition to just the style of play. It, time and time again, since, since he got here, he's talked about how he thrives with rhythm and flow and that that's like foundational to him doing well offensively. And he just doesn't seem in sync there yet. And part of that is the catch and shoot threes for him. That the instinctive preference is not to let it fly every time. Yeah. I think, 
maybe in contrast to Maxi and Yang and some of these other guys who have adjusted so well, it seems especially uh, rough, but I do think uh, it is a little concerning that just that doesn't seem to be his default mode um, to let it go and not think twice about it. Um, so I do think on a positive note, he has improved defensively over the past couple of seasons. He has legitimate defensive versatility. Uh, and I think that can overcome some of the offensive issues in terms of him being a positive impact player for the team uh, in the playoffs. I even think back to, to the Hawks series. Danny Green was was disastrous on, on Trey Young in game one, and then they switch up the coverage and on the double drag, and Tobias Harris gets a fair share of possessions on Trey Young, and I, I thought he held up pretty well. Uh, you go back to Darius Garland, you know, in the middle of the game, he asked to get that matchup and, and hold the zone. Last night, DeMar DeRozan, I'm sure he gets a lot of help from the aggressive pick-and-roll coverage with Embiid, but Harris one-on-one, you know, for the most part, stays in front, contests shots, and shows that he has value as a defender. So I, for me, I just don't think that part should be overlooked with him. I, I, I don't mean to say that there are millions of reasons to be wildly optimistic about Harris and the impact they'll make in the playoffs. Yes. But I do think like he can be big for this team as a defender, and that he can overall make the defensive unit a better better than it otherwise would be. Yeah, I have long time. So like like I would have liked to see. I do agree with 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 the defensive comment that you made. Um, I also agree with like the 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 whole like his instinct is not to just let it fly. Like to me, it seems like a weird thing to not be instinctual about. Like just if you're open, shoot the ball. Um, but I think he's wired differently to like. Okay, I, I want to like w- see what else is there. Um, you know, um, I, I think like with Tobias, it's kind of a shame he's not more vertically gifted because that would I would almost be inclined to say like let's try him going small ball and like let's let him be a, a screener and a screener and cutter or a screener and shooter and let him trail for threes in transition as a big man. Problem is. Even if he has, like a, even if like he has a small, a big man on him, and and you're, you know, he's driving into the cup. He he had to be athletic to finish around a big man, and he's not vertically gifted in a way that is conducive to him getting calls against the, you know, going one on one against a, a a traditional big, and he's not also just not that great of a finisher around the basket. I I, I think with him. You would, in order for him to be effective in, in this version of the team, you're probably going to need Joe Well to be a little bit more willing to sort of space out and let Tobias go to work against mismatches. Um, whereas last night, Joel was like, I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat over and over again. I'm not passing the ball here. Like there was a time where Harden, he had, he had Harden wide open under the basket and Harden was like, had his, his hand ready to go. And Joel was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot this one. And they're like, okay, whatever. Um, but um I think 
they would probably have to make a little bit more of an effort to get him specialized looks like the play that I mentioned with the, the, the pin down and then you know, him, him splitting to the basket um, off the curl. But I do think it's also like incredible. I said this to Tom Moore last night. They're five and one since the all-star break and Tobias has largely not mattered at all. And like in terms of his offensive production, I'm curious how that plays out in a playoff context just because if you can, it, 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 it's something of almost a miracle if you can have a team where the guy making the second most money on the team or whatever, whatever it is now with Harden um, is just not having an impact offensively. Like I think, I think Tobias has to have like, you know, be able to put up 15, 16, 17 points per game, 18 points a game, but you don't need him to get 20 the way that you needed him to get 20 before. And he can largely suffer through shoot, um, suffer through shooting slumps, you know, and and they can survive virtually un, untouched while he goes through those slumps. I mean, they're five and one in those six games. He's looked relatively bad in those six games, um, and they've been fine. Yeah, I, I will say. I think the non-scoring components of the game obviously become more essential for him if the scoring isn't there and if the scoring is inefficient, most importantly. Like, I think a version of Harris that's scoring 15 points a little more efficiently than he would score 20 points, that's awesome. Um, But I think he has to rebound better than he has. I mean, there were a few instances last night where he just noticeably got beat for... Uh, rebounds and, and allowed second chance opportunities that way. Uh, and, and then as I talked about the defense, I think night after night, it has to be good, you know? Um, and I think that the talent is there for the most part uh, to do that, but uh, he, he's got to make it happen. I think on that end of the floor. And then I think his passing, especially against zones, like I, I don't think especially highly of it. I think he doesn't have great timing or feel. And there have been a bunch of instances this year where they've known the correct like schematic look is to try to find Joel on the high low, but Tobias will force it or, or he'll undershoot it or he'll overshoot it. Um, he's got to, he's got to nail that a little more in the playoffs or he's just got to be one of those guys who is lower risk who yeah. adopts the maxi approach of just, I'm going to make the simple passes and all my reads are going to be quick and incisive and I'm not going to turn the ball over because that's one way I can negatively impact this team offensively. Um, but I think overall, look, he has a long track record of scoring close to 20 points and doing so at a decent efficiency. And while there are tons of new factors here with the health issues he's gone through this season and, and some of those difficulties and bumps. Yeah. I think he's going to be better than this offensively. That, that does feel like a safe bet to me. Yeah. I think people kind of underrate they They, they conveniently underrate the COVID thing as it helps their narrative. I think a lot of ways with Tobias, like, He's been the most hated man on the team, like for 
more more than this. people have always disliked him because he was the guy they chose over Butler in terms of giving the max contract to. Um, there's other factors there that we want to get into, but Tobias was the guy that was brought back and Butler was not. So he's always been disliked in that regard. And I think we largely don't know much about COVID at all. I, don't, I think maybe it doesn't help his case that Joel was recouped or, you know, as, as, as has recovered from COVID quite nicely since he had it. Whereas Tobias has not recovered. He's been inconsistent all year long, but I think that the human body is adapt reacts to the virus so differently that we don't even really realize yet. It's hard for us to really make it uniform in a, in, in a way. Um, but I do think that Tobias, like the best version of him in for this team is going to be 10 shots per game, you know, get up four threes. If that, if, if, you know, if he can do that and he's getting good looks, like he's getting looks from the corner. He's getting looks, you know, uh, uh, on just on swings from the, um, when, when Harden goes baseline and then he'll kick to, to Tobias on the, on the weak side on, on, on the wing. And he's got, he got up and looks has to make them. She has to make them some, some, some nights the lift isn't there. The aim a little off, but um, I, I think that, you know, he, it docks at this last night. Like he's, getting open looks. He's laughing about it because he's getting open looks. He just has to make them. And if you really buy Tobias Harris as a shooter, then you're not worried about it that much because you know that it'll normalize. Right. I think just the one unknown significant variable there is he said that he's had shoulder pain in November, the shooting shoulder. So uh, who knows? Yeah, and to which um, that is a factor or, or will be a factor moving forward. But uh, I think overall, he, he's probably going to be better. And James Harden is probably going to make a concerted effort to get the best out of him uh, the way he has uh, for, for other teammates thus far. I think it's been Harris's issues have been mitigated to some extent by Matisse Seibel having a few efficient double scoring games where double figure scoring um, where he's getting these chances as a cutter and as a screener and roller and uh, actually looks somewhat threatening off the ball, which hadn't been the case before James Harden. Uh, And that's made the Sixers a better offensive team. And then of course it's also made, Thibel playable for heavier minutes, and that's elevated the, the defense as well. Uh, so I, I think James Harden wants the team as a whole to be optimized around him, and part of that is Harris getting comfortable and figuring stuff out. And it's been five games that hasn't happened, but I, I think Harden will focus on um, that particular area. For sure. Now, getting back to Harden, um, I believe you gave a stat, either this exact stat or something similar to it at the beginning of, of the pod. But last time I checked, he had 49 field goal attempts, 48 assists. And after last night, it's, um, I think it's like 63 assists to 65 field goals, something like that. So he's not taking a ton of shots. Only like 11, 11 and a half, 12 per game. Um, and he's t- he's 
making a very concerted effort to, you know, get his teammates involved in the offense. We still haven't seen the the the, the Harden's height as a scorer. I mean, he was just, um, it was just a couple, you know, weeks ago that he was putting up thirty-seven point triple doubles for the Nets. Um, so he has that in him still. I'm. We still have a long way to go in this season, but his scoring, I think, has multiple levels left that he can go. But I don't even think it matters because I think his gravity and the attention he commands as a scorer and shooter is as is at least as dangerous as his actual scoring is because teams just having to lift up an extra fraction of an inch, an extra step to stay up on him opens up the door for so many other things that happen on the offense that he can, he, you know, he can have a 16 point 14 assist night and it's like totally fine. Like he, he can have, he, he could, he could not score 30 points in, in his Sixers career, but if he can get 20 and, 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 and 14, totally fine. He, I, I think he's been very comfortable taking a second seat to Joel in his time so far. I think so. I think he's wanted to play with Jamel Embiid for a while. He holds him in high esteem for good reason. And the ultimate goal now is winning a championship. And I think he takes pleasure in having that impact of approving, improving the players around him and genuinely doesn't care a ton about the scoring numbers. Sure, I'm sure it's you know satisfying to have a 40-point triple-double, but he has very much been there, done that, and that is not that is not the highest priority uh, right now. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I mean, I am curious what will happen physically in the playoffs and a grueling seven-game series and not only just the basic question of, like, can he avoid re-injury, but also does he retain the explosiveness that he showcased thus far? Because on these straight line drives, he's looked quicker and sharper and more menacing than I expected. Just watching him in person. Like he doesn't, doesn't look like a past his prime sort of player in that respect. Um, but will that remain the place of the playoffs? We shall see. Um, but I, I think for him, He's valued efficiency and valued uh, finding the right shots for the team's offense yes. throughout his career. And the perception a lot probably have of him is that he's an ISO-heavy, high-scoring, foul-drawing player. But to me, you know, all of that, is because he was isolating more than more teams and he was scoring more efficiently than in isolation than every single team in the NBA year after year after year. Yeah. So he did what he was great at. Uh, and now the Sixers, there are a lot of ways that this is a great offensive team with him as the guy running the show. Um, so I think the variety in his game very much exists, but perhaps he's getting to explore new levels of that now that he's got an all-star big guy uh, next to him. 
Yeah. And you make a great point about like the 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 straight line drive because I've noticed that too. His he hasn't looked incredibly fast per se, like as he does it, but his first step has been effective in that he's getting or he's he's not having any issues getting around guys. Like if he wants to get to the basket around you, he's gonna hit you with like a machine gun dribble and then go. And they haven't been able to stop it. He's gotten to the basket. He's gotten locked up a couple times as he drives, and then he's either you know powering through a fat contact, or he's getting called, or he's getting a foul call, or he's getting to the basket and scoring. But he hasn't really been overly reliant on his jump shot yet. Uh, he's you know he's he's done a signature step back three a couple times, um, but largely it's been a very trending towards subdued version of of of, of Harden at his best, and maybe that's fine with him. Maybe that's what this team needs. Um, maybe he's okay with that as long as it produces wins. I would like to see what it looks like two weeks, a month from now, when the honeymoon phase is no longer the honeymoon phase. And it's like, you know, will there be passive aggressive remarks about this or that if they go through a little bit of a slump or if he, if someone's struggling, who knows? Um, but I do think that it's sort of a wonder to watch from up close in a lot of ways as we are um, watch how he doesn't have to score to really have a star level impact on the game. Very much so. Yeah. I think just kind of like my personal opinion on team chemistry and ability to fight through difficult situations and some of those intangibles, it's just fundamentally it's very difficult to judge a team well until they've lost. That's like literally true here. James Harden has not lost as a sixer. Uh, but I think just going through stuff that's unpleasant and how do you respond to that, both interpersonally and the, those relationships. Yeah. And then also how do you find solutions uh, as a coach of that team and as the star players on that team? Um, those are unanswered questions here. And there's a lot of unknown. Uh, we shall see. Yeah. Two like extremely intelligent stars, a very experienced head coach who's won a lot of games. So those are positives. Then you could point to some other indicators that perhaps aren't as encouraging. Um, but you know, we just don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see exactly what happens there. Um, yeah. I think just just to the point of Harden physically, you know, looking looking sharp and on, on those line drives. I, I can't remember ever watching a player who is better when he gets a sliver of a physical situational advantage. So gets the man on his hip or beats him on the first step by just a millisecond. Um, he is so brilliant at that, that him retaining explosiveness as it seems that he has, that's a really, really big deal. Um, yeah. And, you know, we'll, again, we'll see if it lasts, but the early indicators there are, are better than I personally expected. Yeah. And like one of the things about him that is also kind of crazy and in the same way that what you just said, um, you can tell when that step back three is coming. Like you always like it's a couple of telltale signs like he will do the machine gun dribble between the legs. He'll like walk you down to it to, to he'll walk you down to the. Uh, to 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 the right wing and then he does it and and then you know like he, he gets you he just kind of like you can see him smelling his prey out and then he he just kind of attacks it 
And they know it's coming, I'm sure, because they've watched film on it. And yet he still is able to get the shot off. It doesn't, and it, it, it's, it's gone in mo- for the most part, um, you know, since, 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 since he's been here. But I don't know what, whether it's the space creation part or there's the pure skill, but they know it's coming. We as viewers know it's coming and he still gets it off every time. Well, you think back to the Houston days, I think everything you just said was true to a much greater extent. Yeah. Blitzes at half court time after time, and he was scoring 35 points a game. Yeah. Yeah, not the same player, not quite the same score, at least production-wise, um, but the ability to get a shot when everyone knows what's coming, uh, he, he is outstanding at that, and... Sixers wanted a shot creator, and they, they couldn't have asked for. Boy, do they have one! one. <laughs> yeah, they, they got a pretty good one here. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, so where do they rank in the East for you? So for me, before the trade, I thought they were somewhere in the second tier of the East, and in that position of they really could have won a championship, but everything needed to break their way realistically. Yeah. Um, And now I think they are in the first year of the East. I think it's an especially tough season yet again to judge because so many injuries, so many COVID absences. Obviously this most recent Miami game, we didn't learn a ton from that one, which, which would have been nice. Um, but for me, they're in the top tier. And I think every team in the East that is a contender also has real flaws, but I think the Sixers quote unquote ceiling has to be as, as high as any team, um, right now. So I'm not sure exactly how they match up against Miami. I I could see that being quite a difficult series for the Sixers. But it's also difficult for Miami internally to know what their team is and how good they are. Yeah. Kyle Lowry had been out for a long time with personal reasons. Victor Oladipo is now back. And it's just so much uncertainty and just um, who knows kind of sentiment that I think is very real here. But the top-end talent the Sixers have is great. I, I think they're, they've got a good, as good a shot as any of these teams in the East. Um, And I also think there are several ways in which they could lose series. Um, But I don't think they are unique in that regard. So that's essentially how I see it. I'm not sure where I would put them exactly if I had to rank them. I think, honestly, one or two now does feel appropriate. Of course, the Bucs have a lot of uncertainty as well, yeah, I'm kind of leaning the, like the Bucks. I think like the Bucks are the number one for me. Okay. Um, I just I I don't you really don't know. buy Miami at all. I, I used to, like two years ago. I trust I trust Jimmy Butler in crunch time. Right now, I'm like I don't know about Jimmy Butler in crunch time anymore. Um, and I think in the in, in an environment where 
it slows down in a half court setting and you're, you're grinding games away in the last five minutes. I, 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 I guess the heat are going to put the ball in the hands of Jimmy or Tyler hero. Jimmy can't shoot really anymore. And Tyler hero is good, but he's fickle, right? Like he, like he's not, he's not always going to get you the same outcome in a way that Butler would. Um, in, in a previous lifetime, I think the Sixers are two. I, I, I think I, I would probably put Milwaukee one. Sixers are probably two, I think, by a hair over Miami. I think the Heat defense is very good, but I don't think their offense is very good. So, you know, that's kind of where I stand on that. Um, but I do agree. A lot of the fans are like, like who's stopping this team? And like, you know, whatever. I think there's a very simple way to stop them if you can keep if you can if you can keep up with them through three quarters and that's going to be if they're throwing out like niang and harden or niang and furkan Korkmaz or niang and maxi whatever tobias and you're switching everything for harden they're going to find a mismatch in that switch scheme and they're going to shoot over the top of you they're going to blow by you and and bead's going to have to be in the right place at the right time every time to, to cut that off. Right. And so I think th- th- their the, really the, 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 their their weakness is going to be what happens to them on, on in a switch. You know, how how are teams attacking them on a switch? That's also going to be as much dependent upon their path through the playoffs. Like if you're playing Jason Tatum in the Celtics, it's going to be problematic. Celtics can switch everything. The Celtics would want you probably to switch everything, and if you have Niang on, on Tatum in a switch game in the fourth quarter, you're in pro- you're you're going to be in trouble. Um, Miami, I think, is similar in some regard, but a little less potent. Milwaukee, if 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 if, if you know, like if if it's Middleton versus Tobias or Middleton versus you know whomever, Giannis versus Harden, problematic. So. You either have to curta- you either have to modify your defensive scheme and get Harden to buy in to deviating a little bit from what he likes for the betterment of the team, or you're gonna have to really change your rotations so that way you don't have your worst defenders out there in the heart of the fourth quarter. To me, it seems like there's been greater willingness to be flexible defensively already. We saw the zone defense yeah. um, again in Cleveland and New York. We saw last night and be blitzing way, way more than is typical to, to try to counteract DeRozan, and that was successful. So my impression is that Rivers is actually willing to mix it up in yeah. the ways that are necessary. Now, will that be sufficient to – overcome all of the deficiencies with the the players he's coaching i'm not sure but um i do think there are some potentially promising ways to to scheme around areas that might be troublesome um, that that, that could end up working out for this team i think zone might be one of them because joel Embiid's great back line of the zone uh and there are some opponents who haven't faced a ton of zone and might uh, have issues adapting to it in a high pressure playoff setting where 
a lot just kind of come down to make or miss, you know, those, yeah. those three point looks. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I mean, I think the depth of the team overall is not great. And yeah. a lot of these other top East teams, their depth is preferable to the Sixers. I think especially backup center, there's disastrous potential there. Um, I am really unsure what DeAndre Jordan is going to bring to the table. I know what he's going to try to do. Uh, I think he understands the role here is simple. And I think James Harden will do everything in his power to give him easy lobs and, and make his life easy. But as you said, the defense, um, there are reasons to be worried about that when DeAndre Jordan's on the court. And I even think just like, is he going to be able to stay on the floor as far as free throws? And are we going to have a little deja vu there with the Sixers having someone on the court that the opponent uh, wants to foul in high pressure situations? Um, so I think the bench overall for the Sixers um, is an area that, that could hurt them big time. And they'll probably need Shake Milton to yes. step up and maybe someone else, maybe, maybe Danny Green has a couple of nice shooting games and solid defensive efforts. Um, but I think out of all those bench pieces that are not named George Niang, Shake Milton's probably the most promising if you think about who might be able to two way seriously help us win a game and yeah, and be solid even in the games where he's not having some sort of scoring explosion, you know, just hold down the fort and, um, and yeah, be, be decent on both ends of the court. For sure. I, I totally agree. Um, and I do see like that. I agree with you. There has been increased buy-in. I was actually, um, pleasantly surprised by DeAndre Jordan last night. I thought he looked decent in, in, in his minutes. Like he obviously wasn't like changing the game when, you know, for the Sixers when he was in the, and he was there, but I thought he was generally like making decent rotations. Um, even if he wasn't blocking shots or altering shots, he was at least making, you know, like he, he made his presence felt in emphatic ways. Like he had a couple of nice goal. He had a goaltender too, which I don't have a problem with. If you're, if, if it's not a stupid goaltender, like you're, you're, you're asserting yourself and you're, you're, you're missing the message. I'm some, it isn't, it, I'm here. It isn't always going to be a goaltender. I'm going to get it sometimes. So be, be, be careful. But I think like ultimately you just need him to play 10 minutes, 12 minutes, but I think it's, can they just not hemorrhage points? In those ten and twelve minutes is the big thing there, and last night, you know that the Bulls team, the Bulls are, are have a very good record. I think they're probably a little bit lesser than their record says they are, um, but I, I was encouraged by what I saw last night out of, out of him. Yeah, honestly, for me, like out of all the East teams I've seen, the Bulls are the one where I say, okay, the Sixers are definitely deeper than them. I just haven't been that impressed with, with Chicago's depth. Yeah. Granted, they've been hit hit hard by injuries and they need to lean on that depth more than they wanted to. But 
Um, it definitely wasn't a bad, you know, first game for, for DeAndre Jordan to get some action. Um, but yeah, I think just for me, there was, of course, a huge contrast in comparison, you know, to, to Paul Millsap. You're talking about like rim protection and the opponent just being aware that there's a big guy lurking there and you probably shouldn't drive all the way to the rim. Yeah. And that bad things might happen if you try that. Yeah. And so that in itself is an upgrade. If he can actually slam home some lobs and set good screens and not commit bad fouls and play like a veteran, uh, great. He's a veteran who hasn't played a playoff game since 2017. So <laughs> that's a lot of mileage. Yeah. Um, who, who knows exactly how it's going to work, but I think there are at least uh, some reasons to think that, that it could work out okay. And that's all the Sixers need, of course, because yeah. you figure Joel Embiid's on the court, you're going to win those minutes, and the other minutes just have to be good enough. Yeah, for sure. Noah, where can everybody find you? Uh, so I'm... I, and NBC Sports Philadelphia uh, dot com, uh, and my Twitter is just at Noah Levick. Awesome. Well, Noah, thanks so much for taking set almost seventy five minutes out of your night to uh, talk 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 ball with me a little bit. Absolutely, thank you. Yeah, I feel like we really nerded out about the Sixers, <laughs> um, but I enjoyed I enjoyed picking into those little crevices and nuances of. Uh, what this team is is all about, like only uh, Austin Krell can. So that's right. Um, yeah, no, it was a it was a it was a privilege to to be joined by you and to anyone who's who's made it through uh, to the seventy five minutes. Uh, sincerely, thank <laughs> you for listening. I can understand why you'd listen to to Austin, but thank you for listening to me. I time. can't. I would. I would only tune in for Noah, but that 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 that's just me. All right, Noah. Well, thanks. Thanks for stopping by tonight. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back uh, next week or so for another episode. I don't maybe maybe Noah, maybe somebody else, who knows? But uh, no luck, no luck, everybody. <laughs>